time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is January 31st. Can you believe it? We already have January in the rearview mirror. Wow, amazing how fast this time is going this year. And again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I'm excited about today's hot topic. We've got Stephen Chapman joining us. He's lead organizational consultant internal to Allstate Insurance. You go, uh, Lincoln, are you spanning the podcast to uh, to include now insurance companies? No, we're staying focused on the mortgage industry. And again, like we said in the opening, this is for mortgage professionals, but we learn wonderful and valuable lessons other corporations and other industries are doing. And Allstate has got some going when they brought in Stephen Chapman to be the lead organizational consultant. Again, organizational health is one of the passions I have. We're going to be talking about that in the Hot Topics segment and how what you're hearing on today's podcast can help you organize something with your business. You may not be big enough to have your own internal consultant like Stephen Chapman inside of Allstate, but you can do something to make a difference. Really excited to get into that in the Hot Topics after we get through the first part of the podcast. I want to say thank you to the Industry Syndicate. Proud to be a part of them, industrysyndicate.com. Check them out, all the podcasts there. Also, a special thank you goes out to our sponsors. And we got a new sponsor. One of our new sponsors is Penny. Back, and we're thrilled to have them here, but I'm really excited to be working with them and have them as a sponsor. And they saw us as a way to get the word out to many, many originators, and we're going to help them do that. So if you're not doing business with Penny Mac, I tell you, get out there and check them out. You should be. They're a leader in the industry, and we're thrilled to have them there with us as a new sponsor. Also, Mortgage Bankers Association of America, thrilled to have a partnership with them. Check out Mac Frank and Tony's interview that we did in October about the economy. I love it. we got to get back on because so much is just happening, and we're at the high end of the range. Also, this last week, last Monday, I was at the Finastra Forum, which is their annual event that they have, where it's a user conference that was going to be here in Austin for everything up and down North America, South America. They was all going to be here in Austin, but because of COVID, they had to once again move it to virtual. So we had a chance to be there and we recorded on Monday and presented it on Tuesday. We're real thrilled to have our partnership with them. Got to meet Chris Dingo, who is the president of the uh, America's division. Everything that's not Europe. Again, they're big in Europe and all over Asia, all over the world. And biggest fintech company in the world, you'd expect that. There's two co-ops that we're part of, Lenders One and Mortgage Collaborative. Thrilled to be partners with them and them with us. Check out both of these collaboratives. And I just interviewed with Rich Zerbinski, and Rich is going to be coming on and sharing that interview. Very exciting about what's going on at TMC or the Mortgage Collaborative. We have the winter conference for both of these coming up. Mortgage Collaborative is doing theirs in Florida and at the Fountain Blue. And you can't think of a better place to go do that. But also, Lenders One is also doing theirs. And theirs is going to be in Arizona, in warm Arizona. Also in Celerate, Josh Friend does a great job at helping you connect with your borrowers and engaging with them. And prospects in a meaningful way. Also, Knowledge Group, Ken Perry with their learning management system. Also, Mobility MMI, their mortgage market intelligence platform, along with Modex. 
Both of these companies, Modex and Mobility MMI, do a great job in helping you recruit and target your recruiting. I want to talk more about recruiting because it is so critical on how companies do that. We'll be doing more on that in the future. But check out both of these companies. More and more of our clients are signing up with both of them because they see a great compliment. That's what I always say on this podcast. Both are necessary to get the full picture and the full database of what's going on out there. Also, SnapDocs, digitizing your mortgage closing, offer a better experience for your closing teams. Check them out, snapdocs.com. Also, Success Kit. We're thrilled to have our partnership with them. I love what they do in helping you tell your customer testimonies and sharing them effectively. So powerful. Check out successkit.io. Also, Lender Toolkit. Thrilled to be working with them. And again, our newest sponsor, Penny Mac. Kimberly Nichols, we interviewed her on November 1st, 2021. Check that out, as well as a special thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, Matt, and Jack Nunnery. Jack, good to have you on the microphone here with me. Appreciate you, friend. Thank you, David. You bet. Let's get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute and this week's update. Rob, what you got? Hi, I'm Rob Van Rapphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the CFPB issued a wide-ranging request for public comment seeking information on fees that are not subject to competitive processes. MBA believes the RFI, in including mortgages, fails to acknowledge the extensive mortgage disclosure regime, including no before you owe and the ATR slash QM rules. These rules were put in place by the CFPB over the past decade with the express purpose of making mortgage transactions highly transparent and shoppable. Comments for the RFI are due March 31st. 2022. Also, be sure to sign up for MBA's Mortgage Servicing Conference happening February 22nd through the 25th in Orlando, Florida. You can register by going to mba.org slash conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job. And while you're signing up for the MBA, if you're not already a member, you should be a member. If you're not signing up, get signed up. What I would also tell you is get your Mortgage Action Alliance app, MAW, M-A-A, Mortgage Action Alliance, Get it from the App Store and download it. Make sure you have your voice heard. It is such an important thing. MBA is so valuable in helping create awareness and educate our regulators on all that we are already doing. Don't burden us with more. Now, if we have deficiencies and we're having bad actors, all for it. Get in there, deal with that. But let's work with the industry that's trying its hardest to do a great job. Thank you, MBA. Thank you, Rob Ben Raphorst, with what you're doing. Talk about the servicing conference. Jack, I want to put in a little bit of plug. We've got a couple of podcasts coming up here in the future on servicing. I'm really excited about having Russ Anderson on and you and I talking about servicing and some of the things that go on around that world. That'll be a fun couple of podcasts with Russ, Jack. Oh, I really think it is. I've known Russ for 12 years now, and he's quite the subject matter expert. We're also, David, going to be covering treasury and liquidity solutions for independent mortgage bankers, both large and small. And I think there's a lot of rich content in that discussion as well. Yeah. Wealth of information with uh, Russ, and I'm so excited. Now they're dragging another one out of retirement, getting him back involved in what we're doing here. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and his focus of the macro view of the markets. Les Parker, what you got, friend? Bond bulls come back. You can blame it all on Jay. Bears were wrong, and stocks just can't live without you. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. The Fed controls short-term rates and influences mortgage rates 
by the timing and size of its bond purchases or sales. 14 years of actively bypassing market forces and announcing arbitrary purchases led to artificially calm price action. Reverting to a freer market creates surprises in the shape of the yield curve and credit spread. Who buys and who sells when? Yes, <laughs> Expect the Fed's transition to spark shocks and violent reversals with expanding volatility. Even if Jay says, I was wrong. And bonds just can't live. These views are my own. Find out how bond bulls come back at tmspotlight.com. I just love that. That's so well produced. Thank you, Les and Gary Canterbone. They team up on that each week. And great job. I love that. I listened to that yesterday or last night when it came in. And I was chuckling. Also, I agree with what he's saying there. I mean, see, where are we at? Matt Graham's here with us with the mortgage interest rate update. He is with mbslive.com. N-E-T. And he's here with us. Matt, good to have you. How's things up there in the Portland area? Yeah, no, I mean, nothing interesting ever happens in Oregon. That's why I live here. Financial markets. Definitely an interesting week last week. And we'll talk about the main event in a moment, as Les already alluded to. But just a real quick recap of data and events. Home prices, you might see reports, you might read news articles about them being still staggeringly high, up and over 18%. And that is true because they're based on repeat sales. We're not really expecting major tankage there, but it is always good to keep in mind that the home price reports have a bit of a lag. So that was through November. And if we're going to see impacts of the rising rate environment, it might not show up for a couple of reports. There tends not to be a massive correlation between the two, more likely to be seen in the pace of sales as opposed to prices itself. But Prices could come down in terms of lower appreciation, not necessarily depreciation for other reasons. But that's way too much attention to pay to that when we have other data to get through real quick. So we also had consumer confidence at the beginning of the week showing an uptick versus Mm -hmm. expectations. Very interesting stuff on the treasury auction front because all of the treasury auctions were fairly well received. And I did want to take a quick moment to talk about what a well-received auction means because it's something that the MBS Live community is very interested in. I know CNBC, Rick Santelli likes to do the letter grade for the auction, and uh, my clients will still ask me to grade these things. And I, I don't want to be a cranky old man about it, but grading the auctions is its sort of a double-edged sword because are we, are we yeah. grading the auction relative to its average stats? In other words, the bid-to-cover ratio, the ratio of dollars bid to the dollars being auctioned, is a demand metric, right? And so if we look at that bid-to-cover and say, oh, well, that's much stronger than it normally is, so this must have been a strong auction. Yeah, maybe, or maybe the yield was a lot higher than it had been, and people wanted to buy that dip in prices. So last week's auctions were the highest yielding auctions in roughly two years, depending on the the issuance, and that is going to entice buyers. So if we're talking about the stats versus recent averages, yes, strong auction. If we're talking about stats for this particular yield, then no, it's not that great. It took a really, really high yield to generate these stats. And if we wanted to go back to yields from two weeks ago, the statistics of the auction would have been really, really bad. So sure, Santelli and even Matt Graham in the past can say this was such and such letter grade, but there are always two ways to look at it, or there are frequently two ways to look at it if we're talking about a market that has been moving quickly. It's good to see support for 
these new auction issuances. Even if we have to say it's because of higher yields, it's still good to see the support. It still makes a case that bond traders are starting to feel out a, a potential ceiling of some sort. And that ceiling can either be longer term or a shorter term consolidation, but either way, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye. Moving on with the economic data, at the end of the week on Thursday, GDP came out at 6.9% and it created all this buzz. Wells Fargo put out a good note, their economics team, regarding the inventory build component of that. And that if you take out this sort of unprecedented inventory ramp, that the GDP number itself was in the twos as opposed to in the sixes, almost sevens. Just something to keep in mind, temper that enthusiasm a little bit about the economy is strong, but it's not 7% strong. Pending home sales, still doing great. They declined. They're going to decline when we have rate spikes. They declined in 2013 when we had a big rate spike. They don't yeah. decline massively, but it is normal. And sales are still humming. Purchase applications are still humming. And when that changes in a major way, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it's doesn't show signs of stopping just yet. And the rate spike that we've had wouldn't be enough to do it. Consumer sentiment, lowest since 2011. What are they so upset about? I don't know. COVID, stock market dropping quite a bit in January. And I think people are ready to be done with the pandemic. So that has correlated a lot with COVID-related statistics. Very little of the economic data that would normally have an impact on the bond market is currently having anywhere remotely close to its former impact. How's that for a terrible sentence, Dave? But the point is, is that traders are picking and choosing the reports that are relevant based on what's going on with Fed policy and COVID and what we can sort of explain away with ongoing developments with the pandemic. So we're really focused on inflation, obviously. And by the way, Dave, we've gotten to the big event of last week. Now we're talking mm -hmm. about the Fed from what Les said. So they essentially declared victory on the labor market goal. And they sort of already done that but more or less confirmed it with some verbiage changes this time. They moved away from the verbiage that said it was appropriate to maintain the Fed funds rate, and now they're saying it will soon be appropriate to raise the Fed funds rate. Clear as the Fed is ever going to get in an official announcement when it comes to foreshadowing the future. It's also not a surprise. The betting right. markets, the CME, you know, Fed funds futures price a high probability, a certainty really, for a March rate hike at some points recently there's been some speculation about a 50 basis point hike in March. He did receive that question, thankfully. It took a little bit long into the press conference, but he did get the question, and he didn't rule it out. He gave a diplomatic answer. Markets didn't really freak out when he gave that answer. But I think the thing that unsettled the bond market and the stocks to some extent is that when we have an approach like this to a Fed announcement where rates have spiked fairly quickly and stocks have tanked faster than they have in quite a long time, then the market is hoping that Powell will deliver the hawkish message with dove gloves, if you will. They want him to do something, even if he's not going to say, hey, look, forget about it, everybody. We're not going to hike rates. We're not going to stop buying bonds. Of course, he's not going to say that. But traders are nonetheless hoping that he might give some nod to financial conditions and say, yeah, look, if our policies do enough to disrupt the market, sure, yeah, we'll throw you guys a bone. He didn't do anything like that in this case. And stocks clearly didn't like that and bonds didn't like it. But ultimately, if you look at what the Fed actually said in the announcement and what Powell said in the press conference, it was no different than what we expected and what had already been said in January. So sure, there was an afternoon of volatility to be endured on Wednesday. But what we saw after that is your classic sort of Rorschach inkblot 
where yep. the stock prices and bond yields have moved in opposite directions very symmetrically and then moved back toward one another very symmetrically and pretty much got right back in line with pre-Fed levels by the end of the week. And that was, I don't know if I'd call it a surprise, but it was interesting to see things sort of turn out like you would expect based on the read of the announcement. But it was very unexpected if you were gleaning the market's takeaway on Wednesday afternoon. The big question now is where we go from here, obviously. Uh, Have rates sort of put in a ceiling for 2022, or are we destined to go higher? I think it's obviously going to be impossible to know for sure, depending on what happens with the pandemic. Is there going to be another Omicron variant? I don't know. This news seems to pop up every now and then, like, oh, hey, it might happen, but it's not happening. Something like that happens, right? All bets are off. You don't really know. If inflation proceeds as expected and if the economy endures a fairly nominal rate hike campaign, then yes, longer term rates can go a bit higher. And that is in the playbook that has been seen in 2017, 2018. If we use that same scope of rising rates, then the 10-year yield could go as high as 2.4, give or take. Every cycle is different. Maybe it's a little lower, maybe it's a little higher. The average market watcher thinks 2% would be pretty easy to break in terms of 10-year yield. Not really that much higher than we've been in the past week. Also, other market watchers that think, hey, look, I think that uh, rates have risen quickly enough in January so far, and they're going to cool off right now. And I think that's what the market's trying to decide right now. I don't think there is a clear consensus. It seems Mm -hmm. like there's another consolidation in the works where we have some higher lows and lower highs, sort of centering on this 1.75, 1.8 range. And we'll see what happens. I'm not putting a lot of stock in economic data this week. Yes, we have a jobs report. The jobs report itself isn't a big market mover, but the jobs report day is a big market mover because it's like a very popular meeting place for trading ideas. So you might not be setting out to react to the jobs number, but you might decide I'm going to implement this trading strategy on jobs day based on what I see other traders doing. And that is something that makes the jobs report day always important, whether or not the data itself is actually important. So that's coming up on Friday. And between now and then, there's a central bank announcement, I believe Bank of England on Wednesday. That could cause some short-term volatility and standard issue economic data with the ISM reports, which are always sort of upper tier economic data, even if not true top tier. I love it. Love your screens. I love what you do there. Provide that. Looking at the clock, Jack, so real quick, any commentary to that? I'll try to be quick. First of all, Matt, as I look at this, right, I mean, clearly no central bank wants to spark recession by raising rates. So the Fed's got to walk a tightrope here. I saw some forecasts come out, Matt and Dave, that what Bank of America is projecting up to seven rate hikes in 2022. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, JPM and Goldman moderated a little bit and said only five. I did like wow. what uh, Powell said, that the Fed would remain nimble adaptable. So we'll see what happens this year with regards to the frequency of the rate hikes as they try to walk that tightrope between sparking a recession and bringing inflation under control. And I think if they could go back in time, they would have been hiking a lot earlier. The big issue is how long they waited. Because it'd be hard to disagree that rates have no business being at 0% right now. And the Fed has no business buying as many bonds as it's buying right now. They should have been tapering a long time ago and raising rates. And then things wouldn't be sort of this, hey, you guys are going to tank the economy. Incidentally, I don't think a a little rate hike campaign tanks the economy. Are people going to talk like that and worry about it? Absolutely. But we look at 20. 
16, 17, and the first part of 18, things were humming. And mm-hmm. economic data continued to improve up until the very end, and it really wasn't any sort of catastrophic blowout. And it was led primarily by the rest of the world and not as much by the U.S. in late 2018. So it was really, really important to remember at that time that the Fed had been shrinking its balance sheet. So they were Mm -hmm. into the normalization process after tapering and then allowing the balance sheet to roll off. And we haven't even gotten to that roll off stage yet. So, you know, once we get to normalization, then we can sort of assess how freaked out the market really is. But hiking up to one and a quarter percent and getting to the point of normalizing the balance sheet a little bit every month. I think that if the economic fundamentals are intact, that doesn't have to tank the economy. It doesn't have to create a recession. It doesn't have to really cause any significant drama. It'll be something else that comes along that causes the drama. That's the thing we have to look at. I'm looking at the calendar, man. There's so much interesting information and interest rates are such a big part of our market and our career and where we're going as, as mortgage lenders. I could stay on this forever, but we do need to move on. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Always good. Always good stuff. And check out Matt's website, mbslive.net. Sign up using the LOL. Look at our lending code in there and to get the extended no credit card feature that he's given us. Appreciate it very much, Matt. Alice Alvey, good to have you here. Alice is CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. And uh, we're so glad to have you here with a legislative update. Alice, what do you have for us? Well, today, Dave, hello, everybody. The theme is fair lending. So we recently had an RFI out there from the CFPB asking about Humda data. Now that comment period closed. They were looking for feedback on is the Humda data useful? Is there anything else that should be done with it? So clearly they're taking a look at the thresholds and that aspect of what may be the new areas of study that need to happen within Humda or are there any changes needed. They now have an RFI that is out. They're requesting information regarding fees imposed by providers of consumer financial products or services. So the comment period for this is closing March 31st. It gives us plenty of time to respond. It's going after all types of lending. Mm -hmm. So whether it's consumer, deposit accounts, credit accounts, remittances and payments of any kind, prepaid accounts. But of course, there's a paragraph in there on mortgages as well. And the CFPB believes that all the fees need to be transparent, that people need to be well positioned to shop for the fees. And as you heard Rob mention in the earlier segment, from a mortgage perspective, we lived this already with the Dodd-Frank Act. We give a initial quote of all the fees, initial loan estimate, and the customer gets three days. There's all kinds of time available for a customer to get information both upfront and to get the initial closing disclosure just prior to closing so that they have time to kind of think through the process. I get it. The 11th hour with the ICD, maybe they don't feel the customer has a lot of time to negotiate then, but in the very beginning, they do get all the fees, everything quoted to them. And so it'll be interesting to see the direction that this takes during the comment phase. Mm -hmm. They are pursuing comments from consumers, so they want customers to respond on fees for things you believe were covered by the baseline price unexpected fees that came up, fees that seemed too high for the service or fees that were unclear when they were charged. There are eight items here that the CFPB is looking for comments on. And I think as an industry from the mortgage standpoint, we really need to jump in and make some comments here about we give this to customers. We are heavily regulated on if there's any changes to that initial loan estimate and really stand up that, okay, 
leave us alone on this one. There's other industries that aren't as clear. I don't know about you, but when was the last time you ever read your credit card fine print on the fees on that thing, right? So I'd call that clear and conspicuous. But we give very clear and conspicuous disclosures. But you can tell that this is their theme this year of fair lending, making sure consumers are being treated fairly. And so it's just a warning shot, I think, to all the lenders out there that have your data in line. Make sure you're looking at your fees, that they're consistent across your lender base and really understand all the demographics and your lending as well as your HMDA data for your denial rates for different protected groups. So just a, a lot going on with CFPB that you can tell this is an area of focus. And when a regulator wants to focus on something, when they come into your shop, it's going to be something that they ask for information on. So just a heads up. That's a good heads up. And I think it's worrisome a little bit because when you go out to consumers, how many consumers even know about this even or respond? And it's those that have an axe to grind that do seem to respond. But more importantly, I get concerned about consumer advocacy groups, which I'm, I'm all for. Where they're appropriate and needed, fine, no problem. But when they get out and it feels a bit like a witch hunt, the vast majority of our industry is trying so hard. And I think more of an acknowledgement on that. So kudos to the NBA for what their pushback is a bit, being respectfully doing it. And good report, Alice. I think we need to have a heads up on this kind of stuff. Good job. So, Alice, no surprise that you're working for a leader because you are a leader. And we're thrilled to have you here. Great update. Thanks so much, Alice. Say hi to everyone up there, please. I will. Thanks, Dave. You bet. Let's get over to Alan Pollock. He's here with a tech update and always has some extra humor. Let's see. Maybe I have a good one here. What is a programmer's favorite eyewear? It's Google. Yeah. It's not that good. But yeah, well, um, yeah. what do you call an iPhone that sleeps too much? It's called dead Siri us. Get it, Siri? <laughs> so anyway, let me get more serious. Everything's going mobile. That's Institutions great. are moving borrowers to instant payments. They're moving borrowers to real-time payments. They're moving to cardless payments. They're basically removing cash at the end of the day, right? And there's so much going on on mobile. If you think about it, what's the first thing you do when you think of something in your brain? You pick up your phone. What's the yeah. first thing you do when you're bored and you're standing somewhere? You pick up your phone. Everything is driven by your phone. Well, they're starting to try and figure out what do millennials really want, right? They're the ones that are going to affect us moving forward, as we've been talking about for so long. I read a really interesting article, David, called Buy Now, Pay Later versus Credit Cards. Mm -hmm. And they're finding that millennials do not want credit cards. And Gen Zers, they want Buy Now versus Pay Later. They're afraid of their credit. There was actually a comment that I read in the article that I was reading that mentioned they're more afraid of their credit than they are of dying. <laughs> and it was obviously exaggerated to some degree, but... If you think about it, we put yeah. so much fear and so little financial literacy into the next generation okay. that they truly think that extending themselves in a bunch of buy now, pay later situations <laughs> rather than having a credit card and understanding how to use credit correctly is better. And that's going to trickle down into the home industry. And so what do we do? What is the next generation of mobile apps that we build in technology? There's a couple apps in our industry, by the way, and they're great. They do great things. And people are building them. But what really is next? Redfin, National Association of Realtors, including Zillow and many others, they're all forecasting that the searching for a home has continued to expand, that the tools that a borrower wants continue to expand. So as we think about what we want to do, it's not an opinion, Ed, either. But the article that I read was so interesting. And then I Googled it, and there's so many of these that you can look for. But if you're building new tech or you're thinking about, hey, what could I be building um, well, what could I do? Again, it's getting back down to the consumers, to the borrowers, to our actual customers. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave you with that. Let's talk about a couple other pieces of the news here. David, this is in Chrisman's report. 
company called Loan Maps, L-O-A-N-M-A-P-S. It's actually my first time hearing about them. They have a fully integrated digital processing system. They're basically saying they can completely reduce significantly your cost of originating a loan. They say that they can replace many systems. They have a fully automated agency-compliant AUS underwriting system, all kinds of workflow, and they say that they don't replace anybody and they use all of their technology, including income calculations. So you want to check this out, Loan Maps. And then there's a company, David, get this, the Metaverse, right? We've talked about this. Facebook has released the Metaverse and many others. Well, there's a company in Vancouver called Terra Zero. They're actually letting people get virtual mortgages on virtual real estate in NFT, which is a non-fungible. And so I'm not sure how it relates, but it was a big news article in FinTech News um, all about it. So I'll read off more on it. But if if you're interested in NFTs, you want to check that out. The last thing I want to bring up is a company called Poly. So they're a FinTech company. They just raised $37 million in Series B. They raised, I think, about 15 to 20 or so in their Series A just recently. Some of their backers include Movement Mortgage and First American Financial. They call mm-hmm. it FinVC. Anyways, what they're doing is they're changing the way that lenders and loan buyers operate by giving them the ability to make data-driven decisions. The company's software is uniquely configured to automate customer workflows and improve execution. So basically, if you think about the broker-dealer model, or you think about the ability to crack tapes or to buy assets, you're talking about filling it with data, filling it with current data, putting in relevant data, and creating all kinds of ways to look and slice and dice and identify your potential risk. I know of some platforms like that in the past that were maybe a little bit before their time. So hats off to Poly. They've got a serious push forward. They're raising a lot of capital. And just because the market update was so interesting today, I'm going to hold off on the second piece, which I need more time to talk about, but more about what's going to happen to Mortgage Tech in 22. David, just a quick announcement. There are so many people hiring right now. In mortgage, if you are a product manager, if you're a business analyst, if you're in capital market secondary, reach out to me. I know people, including myself and others that are looking to hire. You can reach me, Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-Advisors, or you can reach me directly out to David. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Again, think about that question. What's next in mobile for our industry? Where do we go? It's such a great question and one that I was found myself pondering. But we've got to talk more about this in our future segments with our audience. I was reading an article yesterday about esports and how it is exploding and how there is now scholarships being given for those that excel and do really well at esports. And I'm going, oh my gosh, this world is changing. And we need to look like, what, what is that opening up for us? How do we originate loans when we have that. Now, we know the mobile phone is going to be there in a bigger, bigger way. Alan, thank you so much for a good job on the tech update. Appreciate you very much in all that you're doing for our industry, Alan. Thanks for being here and giving out and sharing as you do each week. Appreciate it, Fred. That wraps up this part of the podcast where we do the weekly mortgage updates. Many of you comment on it. And again, I tell each of you, when you comment to me directly, you could go to the LickinOnLending.com website and you'll see that you can download each one of the individual segments and you can go look them all up along with all the other valuable information that he shares. And you can listen to just that segment all the way through the way we organize it. And that's a kudos out to Paul King, who designed our website and does a great job on it. And so also thank you to Nikki who helps produce this podcast and make it as strong as it is in a quality way, especially on the edits that she does. Takes out all my guffaws that she does. Anyway, 
Grateful to have you here. We're going to have next week Rich Zerbinski of TMC coming on. We recorded an interview with Rich here last week. It was really good. I really like Rich, and I really like what they're doing at TMC. You're going to want to tune in and listen to some of the exciting things. But not only that, it's the themes of where the industry's at from one of the collaboratives, and specifically the Mortgage Collaborative. So good to have you with us. Special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Accelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDoc, Success Kit, Lenders Toolkit, and our newest sponsor, PennyMac. Be sure to go get out to PennyMac's website. They're doing a great job of getting into the third-party broker business, and be sure to check out our last interview that we just did with them. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.